All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for your great love for us, for your sacrifice, for this time that you've given us to share in worship of you and in hearing your word. So I just pray, Father, that you would be in this message, that you would uh, be in every, bar, every part of it. I just pray that the um, words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing unto you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for um, about the last six weeks or so, we've been uh, talking about kind of coming out of the dark with our problems, about exposing all of those things to the light of the love of God, and then really watching how he can go about healing those hurts, habits, and hang-ups that uh, we all share and that mess up our lives. Um, but today what I want to really touch on is how do you maintain your recovery? You know, how do you make, you know, it's so easy to make some progress and then to slide backwards and end up right back where you started. And so how do you hang on to that? How do you keep the progress that you've made? Uh, you know, the fact is that the road to recovery is a, is a jagged and crooked one. Okay? It's, it's not smooth. There are problems that we all have. We tend to fall back into self-defeating patterns that uh, we've established in our lives. And we call that relapse, whatever it might look like, Okay. The alcoholic goes back to drinking. The overeater gains all the weight back that they lost. The gambler goes back to the casino. The workaholic fills up the schedule again and is right back, you know, where they started. And so we tend to repeat all of these patterns uh, of our past. And so today what I want to do is really look at what causes these relapses to occur and uh, then talk about the maintenance step, which is step seven on the road to recovery, and how do we, what can we do to avoid relapsing? So what is sort of interesting about this is that relapses typically happen in a very predictable pattern, okay? First, you run into complacency, right? You start to get comfortable with the short-term gains that you've made. You say, well, you know, I don't really need any more help. I, my pain's been reduced, um, maybe not eliminated, but it's reduced, and I can live with reduced pain. I'm okay with that. So, I, you know, I don't need to go to the Celebrate Recovery meetings anymore. I don't need to work these recovery steps any longer. All right, that's complacency. Then we get into confusion. And confusion is when you start to rationalize what was wrong by saying, you know, that problem, that really wasn't so bad after all. I mean, I can probably just handle this myself. And we forget how bad it was at one time, right? So we get confused. Then the third step is, the, is a really bad one. This is where you start to compromise. This is where you go back, you know, to the place of temptation. You start to just return to the risky situation that got you in trouble in the first place, whether it's going to the bar or to the mall or to Cold Stone Creamery or wherever, right? You're like a recovering gambler who says, you know, 
let's go to Vegas. We'll just watch the shows. You know, not a good idea. You start to compromise, okay? And then finally, there's catastrophe. And that's when you just give in, right? You just give in to whatever the hurt, habit, or hang-up was that you were recovering from, and you're right back to where you started from. So why do we do that? Why do we fall back? Why do we, even when we know exactly the way that we're supposed to go, do we tend to go back against what we know is the right thing to do? So what is it that can actually cause us to relapse? Well, I think the first thing is we, we start to re revert to our own willpower. Okay? Galatians 3.3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, we started something in the Spirit, and now we've decided, okay, we can handle this on our own, and so we just return right back to the flesh, to our own willpower. You start off by trusting God, but then a little bit down the road you say, well, you know, it's really just me doing this. You know, it's my power. I'm, making the, I'm the one making the changes in my life. And so you resort to good old willpower that simply doesn't work, Right? You have a few successes, suddenly you think you're all-powerful, all-knowing, and can handle everything. And God will let you relapse and relapse and relapse until you realize you can't do it on your own. Only God has the power to take away the defects that you're dealing with. And if you go back to your own power, you're going to relapse. If you're thinking, well, I'll just try harder, well, forget it. It's not going to work if you leave God out of this equation. Another problem is ignoring one of the steps. Okay? We get in a hurry. We want this to succeed, and so we, we start to get caught up in these things. And you know, we try to move through the steps too quickly, or you decide, well, if there's kind of a difficult step, Maybe I'll just skip that one, right? I don't think I need that one from last week about making amends to people. I'll be satisfied with a partial recovery, right? And I'll just skip that one, okay? No, no, no. <laughs> you need to do all the steps, right? And you need to follow what the Bible says are the principles for life which are intricately interwoven into these steps. So you can't just you know, do a quick fix. You either need to do all of them, or it doesn't work. And the thing to remember is, you didn't get to where you are overnight, right? And if you've got a problem or a hurt, habit, hang-up, it's been a while in the making. You're not going to fix it overnight. It's going to take time. You've got to work the steps, work the program, and let God work in you in order to, uh, to get over it, to get past it. Another thing is trying to recover without support or, or the help of others. You say, well, I'll just, I'll just get well by myself. I don't really need anybody else's help with this. 
Well, if, you, if that's your mindset, then you're asking for a relapse. You, you say, well, I'll, I'll just listen to the, these sermons online. I'm not going to go to get any counseling. I'm not going to go to celebrate recovery. I'm not going to go to a small group. I'll just get well by myself. It just doesn't work that way. There was a great theologian named Bill Withers. And he once said, we all need somebody to lean on. (laughs) And that's true. We do all need somebody to lean on. We need that support. And you're not going to make it in life if you don't have those kinds of relationships in your life. right? And that's really true no matter what you're dealing with, whether it's a specific thing you know, or just in general. That's why we stress you know, this being a family, this body of Christ being a family. Because we want to be able to have somebody that we can turn to when we've got a problem, when we're dealing with something. Someone who's willing to walk beside us, through it, and with us. See, if you try to do it on our own, you might, I should say, you probably will achieve some measure of short-term gain. Right? Maybe, you know, things start to get a little better for a while. But you know what it's like? It's like driving your car down the highway at 65 miles an hour and then you take your hands off the wheel. You may not crash immediately, but you will crash eventually, right? So you've got to get that support, especially in the instance if you're dealing with something, some kind of a temptation in your life. That's especially true it's especially important that you have somebody that you can get in touch with or contact so that, you know, if you don't, if you're in that position of feeling like you're not going to do the right thing, you need to get someone you can call and say, I need, I need help. I need, you know, to talk because I'm getting ready to go have a drink or whatever the thing is. And they'll help you get past that point. Okay. And then the other one is becoming prideful. It's kind of a, I guess, a combination of some of the, of all of these things, right? It's all about our own pride. You say, I'm pretty strong. I, I think I've got it from here. I can lick this. I've forgiven that person. It's good. We're all good. The Proverbs 16:18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, pride gets us in all kinds of trouble. It, pride always sets us up for a fall. Okay? It, it blinds us to our own weakness. It, in many cases, it's what keeps us from seeking help from others. It's definitely going to prevent us from making amends to other people. And it's what keeps us, in many cases, from doing all of the steps fully. And I think, you know, in in many cases, the biggest problem is that it causes us to blame other people for our own problems. Right? We say, well, that's not my problem. 
And that's pride talking when you hear that. You push it off on someone else. See, it's a lot like a man who went to a psychiatrist and he says, I think I've got this problem. Could you help me with it? And the psychiatrist says, well, sure. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you some pictures and then you're going to tell me what you see in the pictures and then um, I'll be able to diagnose your problem based on your responses. So the guy says, okay. So he holds up, first of all, a picture of a square. Just think of a, you know, just a square. And the man looks at the picture of the square and he goes, well, he says, I see uh, a window in a house. And it's a bedroom window. And as I look through the window, I see a couple making love. Psychiatrist nods his head. So then he holds up a circle, just a circle. He says, tell me what you see. He says, well, I see the ocean and a beach. And the circle is a beach umbrella, and underneath the beach umbrella is a couple making love. The psychiatrist nods his head. Next, he holds up a picture of a triangle. And the man says, I see a beautiful Indian reservation, and that's a teepee. And inside the teepee is a couple making love. And the psychiatrist just stops right there and he says, all right, we do not have to go any further. You are obsessed with sex. <laughs> and the man says, me? Obsessed with sex? You're the one showing me the dirty pictures. <laughs> See, pride causes us to blame other people. And so the secret of a lasting recovery is to live with humility. And that's probably one of the best protections you can have from a relapse. It's just to be humble about the issues that you're dealing with. See, if we remember that we don't have it all together, but then acknowledge the fact that you are in the process of getting it together. See, that's the way to live. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. So, how do you prevent this from happening? Well, we've talked about the first six in the last six weeks, and if you've missed them and you're interested, they are all online uh, on our website. But today we're going to talk about this, la this uh, seventh one called reserve. And the, in full, that says, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Now that's based on a particular scripture. It's Mark 14, 38, which says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think what Jesus is saying here is that it's human nature to relapse. You know, to kind of go back to the things that are going to mess us up. It's human nature to let past problems revisit us. So what he's saying is there needs to be some safeguards in your life, some ways to, to prevent this from happening, and that's what this step is all about. And so there are essentially three safeguards that we're going to talk about that can really help you maintain your recovery. And I would suggest 
just to help you maintain a balanced life, right? I mean, you do whether or not you're doing something specifically to recover from, these are good practices regardless of where you are. The first one is evaluation. And this is really just a step about kind of doing some introspective looking and, and kind of asking yourself some questions. And so for the first thing that you would evaluate is your physical sense. You know, because in many respects, your body's kind of a barometer. It's going to tell you some things. It's sort of like a warning light on a car, right? If you've got something going wrong, then it's more than likely indicative of, you know, there's a problem somewhere. So, you know, maybe periodically you just stop during the day and you go, you know, what's my body telling me right now? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I stressed? Am I just fatigued? You know, just ask those questions. And then, then resolve them. Do something to resolve them and don't let those things go unattended. Second would be emotional. You know, what am I feeling right now? Am I allowing my real feelings to come to the surface or am I just pushing them all down and kind of shoving them down like you step on the trash to mash it down so that, you know, you can get more in there? Pushing your feelings down like that is kind of like shaking up a Coke bottle without taking the top off. It will blow up eventually. So you ask yourself, am I hurt? And then be honest and, you know, and admit and deal with it, if that's the case. Am I exhausted? Am I angry with somebody? Do I resent anybody? Or am I tense or anxious or fearful? Those are all questions that you can sort of ask yourself to figure out, you know, where you are emotionally. Next is relational. Are you at peace with everyone in your life? I mean, if you're not, then that in internal conflict is going to act to hold you back from whatever it is you're trying to get past. And, you know, obviously, it's easy to spot a conflict with somebody that you see every day or you deal with, you know, on a daily basis. But, you know, there are other people that live hundreds or thousands of miles away from you, and some of you are letting those people live rent-free in your head. Okay? You know, Aunt Bertha hurt you 15 years ago when she said something to you. She lives a thousand miles away right now, and you wake up thinking about her. You're letting Aunt Bertha live rent-free in your head, and you need to kick her out. It's controlling you, right? So you need to ask yourself, is there anybody, do I have an Aunt Bertha right now living rent-free in my head? And if you do, you need to evict them. And then spiritual. Am I relying on God? On a moment-by-moment -moment basis, am I relying on God? And see, when you do an inventory like this, I, I think it's important that we want to look at the good as well as the bad. Okay? You want to celebrate. If you've made some progress, um, I think it's important that you celebrate that. Right? 
you've, you've gotten a little ways down the road. We need to, I think so often we get, it's like crossing a mountain range. We get so focused on the next mountain in front of us that we forget to look behind us to see all of the mountains that we've already come across. And that's an important step. You don't want to lose sight of that. It's important to know where you've been and, and the success and the victories that you've had, even if there are still challenges ahead. Because looking behind us will give you the motivation and encouragement to keep going, to face what is in front of you. And I think at that moment, you can be honestly prideful. Because you're proud, really, of what God is doing in your life. Right? It's, you're not proud on your own. You're proud because you see what God is doing and how he's working. And you can be grateful for that. And thank him for the progress that you're seeing. Okay, so that's step one. Step two would be meditation. Now, meditation is a really good biblical word that's been co-opted by a lot of folks to mean a whole lot of different other things. All right? But let's break it down and just make it very simple. In very simple terms, I would say meditation is nothing more than slowing down long enough that you can hear God. That's really all we're talking about here. Because busyness is what stifles us. It stifles our growth. Um, I think meditation and this slowing down is one of the real secrets of spiritual strength. And I don't think Satan fights harder at anything in people's lives than with this particular issue. Making sure, you know, if you're trying to make sure that you get quiet time alone with God every day, and if you kind of make that a goal, I guarantee you, you will have more stuff thrown at you. You will have more things come into your head. You will all of a sudden start thinking about a thousand things you have to do right now, you know, at 6.30 in the morning. And honestly, the Internet makes that, you know, hard because there's a lot of things you can do. At six, you can shop, you can pay bills, you can do all sorts of things at 6.30 in the morning. So... Um, you know, he uses, I think, really three tools, noise, crowds, and hurry. And those are the things that are going to knock you out of, of having that kind of quiet time with God. Psalm 1, very first psalm in the book of Psalms, first three verses. And I would suggest that the first occurrence of things in Scripture is always a very important thing to pay attention to. First three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. Now, I would suggest to you that that says that meditation is pretty important. And if you want to know a key to growth in God, it's to have your roots down deep in God's Word. Because, and the way you do that is to read it and then meditate on it. Okay? I've 
I know I've told this before, but I was at a Promise Keepers conference a number of years ago, and one of the most impactful things a speaker said was that we should read the Bible for depth, not distance. Okay, We get caught up in our reading plans, right? And we say, okay, well, I've got to read three chapters today. And, you know, like I, <laughs> we were talking the other day, I know um, Jim and Bobby's group has been working their way through Leviticus. And I think Leviticus probably gets credit for stopping more read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans than any other book in the Bible. Because you hit that when you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. And so you sort of stop, and then you know you never get started again. Um, because it's like, well, I've got to read three chapters. You know, if I don't, and then you get you miss a day. Now I've got to read six chapters, and then you know it's like, oh, I can't do that today. So, and it just expands. And then you give up, you quit. Well, that's because you're focusing on reading for distance. Okay. Maybe all you want to read is one or two verses. And then spend the rest of the time, whatever time you have, just kind of rolling those around in your head. You know, that is true meditation. That's meditating on God's Word. It's not chanting with incense burning. I guess you could call that meditation, but that's not what I'm talking about here. And notice the benefit that this psalm says will happen as a result of that. The man who meditates prospers in all he does. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Right? God says, it's pretty simple. Meditate on my word. And I think that habit alone will help you to know the right thing to do, and then you end up succeeding. Someone might say, well, I don't know how to meditate. Well, I'll ask you a question. Do you know how to worry? Because worry is nothing more than negative meditation. Think about it. When you worry, you take a negative thought and you roll it over and think it over and over in your head. Over and over. Okay, all you got to do is replace the negative thought with a verse of scripture and roll it over and over and over in your head. Right? Make it a positive, not a negative. So if you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate. You've got the basics down. You just need to change a couple of things. All right. Then finally, we've got somewhere. Prayer. All right, you just imagine the word prayer is across the bottom there. Um, now, there's a third tool that God says will be helpful to you in maintaining your recovery, and that's prayer, okay? That's the way we plug into God's power. It's saying, what, it appeared, look at that. It's a miracle. No, it's probably George. Um, You can't do it, but God can. How do you get that power? You can get it through prayer. Now see, some people don't realize that you can really pray about anything. God is truly a loving Father. 
He's maybe the father that you never even had. You can pray about a financial need, a physical need, a relational need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, anything. And it's amazing that there are people that, that somehow miss this. If they've perhaps been in a church where it's been sort of more of the high church liturgical, where everything is recited and repeated, some people don't realize, and they've been Christians, I don't know, a long time, that you can pray this way. It's pretty astounding. But I know there are people out there that still that think this, that they, I could pray for that? Really? Yeah, you can. So how do I pray? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. It's usually a good place to go, right? In Matthew 6, starting in Matthew 6, 9, he says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. Forgive us the wrongs that we've done as we forgive the wrongs of others who have done to us. Do not bring us to temptation, but keep us safe from the evil one. Now I want you to notice a couple of things. This is the Lord's Prayer. Familiar probably to most of us, if not all of us. Pay attention to the word how. Notice that what Jesus says is, this is how you should pray. It does not say, this is what you should pray. It says how, okay? It's a model. It was meant to be a model. It's not a ritual to be prayed. I've had people ask me, how come we don't say the Lord's Prayer every week? Well, because a couple of verses right before this series of verses, Jesus is talking to um, the Pharisees, and he talks about don't you know use a ritual prayer because he calls it vain repetition. So this isn't a prayer to be used as a ritual, it's a model. It's not what you should pray, it's how you should pray. And if you really look at this, you'll notice that all of the recovery steps are covered in this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's saying, I realize I'm not God, but you are. That's step one and two. May your will be done, may your kingdom come. That's step five. Give us this day our daily bread. That's step three. Forgive us our debts. Step four. As we forgive others. Step six. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's relapse. That's step seven, the one we're talking about today. You see, recovery is as old as the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus gives us the principles in this prayer by which we can find full recovery. 